In the name of one God who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Amen. Do you remember Aesop's fables for when you were a kid? Guaranteed to have a fable in your elementary school readers. I can't imagine one without it. And they're good to have in there. Fables teach a lesson. They have a moral. And with fables, there's always some important lesson to learn that you can take with you. Think about it. The tortoise and the hare. Teaches you don't take your uh, abilities for granted because someone with perseverance might surpass you. Or the crow in the water. Remember, the crow can't get the water, so he puts in pebbles until the water comes up to a level he can drink at it. That teaches us that where there is a will, there is a way. And then the fox who wanted the grapes, and he kept trying to jump up and get them, and then didn't and had to go to bed hungry, well, he could use some of the perseverance of the tortoise or the cleverness of the crow to help himself out. Fables are easy. They're good. They give us moral lessons to teach us, and then we pass those on and teach them to our children, right? It's a good thing. But parables, especially Jesus' parables, well, they're another story. They are not always quite so straightforward and clear. Today, Jesus uses parables to teach to the Pharisees and the scribes. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes, they aren't so happy with Jesus, this Jewish Jewish guy who consorts with tax collectors and sinners and doesn't just consort with them, but eats with them. Oh, my goodness. And so they come to Jesus and they say, what are you doing? And Jesus has to figure out a way to explain what we would say God's economy, to explain the way of God, to explain why Jesus is doing what he is doing and how that is God's way of being with us. And Jesus realizes that the best way to do that is to tell them some stories or parables. Now, at this point, you know I love it when I can make you get your Bibles out. So reach for the Bible in front of you, and you're going to, that's the little black book. I know we don't get them out often, but it is good. This is your Bible, and I want you to go to the New Testament, which is in the back, and choir, you're just going to have to hang with me. Sorry, guys. I always rip you all off on this one. I'm sorry. So page 104, which is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. I'll give you a second. I can hear you all flip, 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 flip. Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Now, if you read the first two verses of Luke 15, you'll hear what we heard today. Jesus is hanging out with people. The scribes and the Pharisees call him out. And then, and then, what comes next is not what we heard today. What comes next are two other parables. So in verses 3 through 7, you'll see that it is the parable of the lost sheep. 
It is a shepherd searching for and finding the one sheep who got lost. And then if you look at verses 8 through 10, you read of a woman who searches for and finds a lost coin. Now, while I tell you about these, I hope that you will do what one of the eight o'clockers told me. I'm going to go home and get out my Bible and reread those parables. Yes. You can all read it at home up here, okay? You all have homework. Do go home and read them. And these two parables come up in our lectionary. That's when we read everything in the church. They come up in our lectionary in the fall. Nowhere near what we heard today. But they're important to understand that Jesus told these two stories first. They frame what we hear in today's gospel reading. In both stories, an item is lost, a sheep and a coin. Both lost items have value. Both are sought for fervently when they are lost. And when they are found, neighbors and friends are called to help rejoice. They're called to help rejoice because what was lost was found. And these two parables make what Jesus is saying somewhat pretty clear, formulaic almost. Lost, search, found, rejoice. So Jesus tells these two stories, and then he continues on, and we get to today's parable. And today's parable is nowhere near clear-cut. Did you notice how much longer it is? And in fact, today's parable, I think we could say, is downright messy. It's the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, the foolish son, the welcoming father, the forgiving father, the recalcitrant brother, the righteously indignant brother, the big party. There are so many titles for this parable, and there are just as many titles as there are potential meanings. This parable has been painted, sculpted, retold multiple per from multiple perspectives. And while messy, and so many perspectives, there are just as many morals as you can take from this story. And yet with all of those morals, there is one goal in Jesus' telling it. Like the two parables that we've already heard from Jesus, something is lost. But this time, what is lost isn't an item. It's not some valuable item. No, what is lost is the most valuable thing. A person. What is lost is a child. A beloved child. We know this story. We know this story. It is so familiar to us. And it is, in fact, familiar to most people who have never stepped foot in a church. And like all of the titles that we have, we can ask, 
or all of the paintings that have to decide what is it they want to depict. We have similar questions that we can ask about where do we want to dig into this story? What corner of it do we want to explore? Do we talk about the arrogance of asking for one's inheritance while your family is still alive? Do we talk about squandering what you've been given? Do we talk about bottoming out? Do we talk about groveling when you have nothing left to lose? Here's always a big one when this comes up. Do you want to talk about what is fair? Because it's not fair. Do we want to talk about what is earned versus what is deserved? Or do we want to talk about how no matter what, we're always our parents' child? And another favorite way to look at this is who are you in the story? Are you the son who leaves? The son who stays? Are you the father? You can see the lessons, the learnings, the morals that we could take away are numerous. And I think all of these are worthy questions. And they're worthy angles to explore. And as you know, I always say, don't ever ask a question in a sermon you aren't going to answer. But don't worry, I'm not going to answer all of these today. But the truth is, these questions... If you had them in a Bible study, you could spend weeks on this parable alone. But no matter the angle you choose to look at, Jesus has one main goal, one main point, one dominant moral. Jesus wants everyone listening to understand this is what it means to be in relationship with God. Jesus is saying that no matter who you are, no matter how great your sin, God wants to be in relationship with you. And no matter how far you've traveled to get away from God, how good your reasons were to walk away from the one who loves you, how much you knew you just did not want to go to church, it does not matter. Because God is waiting for you to return home. God wants to rejoice with us. It is in all three of those parables what happens when something is found or someone is found. The word repeats rejoice and God wants to celebrate with us. I want you to take a second to look at what Jesus does in the very beginning when his critics come to him. Jesus' critics the Pharisees and the scribes are there, these same people who will eventually call for his death. And Jesus does not look at them and say, well, I'm the son of God and I'm right and you're wrong because I know better. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, I disagree with you so much, I'm going to stop talking, talking, texting, or eating with you. Jesus doesn't cancel. 
And Jesus doesn't say, nah, I disagree with you, and you all need to go over there, and I'm going to go over here, and we'll just go about our lives. Nope, none of the above. Rather, to make his point, Jesus remains there with them and tells three stories, three parables. One about a shepherd, exactly, not the most respected guy on the block, okay? And then he tells one about a woman, ditto what I said for the shepherd. And then he does, talks about a son who makes every single mistake in the book and is set up so that we all think that he should deserve nothing at all. And yet every time, how does Jesus end the story? It's lost, it's found, and there is rejoicing. So what is the main moral? I think commentator Joy J. Moore sums it up best. God is interested in relationship more than riches. In community more than canceling, in reconciling more than rebuking. And I want to say that one more time so you can let the words sink in for you. God is more interested in relationship than riches, in community than canceling, and reconciling than rebuking. And that's why we get this story now in our fourth week of Lent. It's why we don't get it later with the other two parables in the fall because Lent is our season. It is our time to turn back to God. Lent is our time to return from strain from God's path, God's way of living, God's economy, and to come back home. Lent is our time to build relationships, not riches. Lent is our time to be in and build community, not cancel it out. Lent is our time to stretch ourselves, to reconcile with those who we know do not deserve it, instead of rebuking those very people. Lent is our time to come home from being lost. Lent is our time to be found in our relationship with God. And Lent is our time to rejoice that God has chosen us. Amen.